Hey, Bible, y'all. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Bible Y'all podcast for Tuesday, January 9th. Happy National Static Electricity Day. And I'm not 100% sure why this needs its own holiday, but here we are. And the way it works is there's two kinds of electricity. The kind that moves along a current, like what comes out the wall, and the kind that accumulates on the surface of an object. And since the second type is unmoving or static, it's called static electricity. And it's a good time of year for this holiday too because we're all wearing extra layers against the cold, which is a great way to create static electricity. Then when you touch a doorknob, you get that little spark, and for a split second, you get to pretend you're Thor, God of Thunder. So I guess it's cool that today is also Play God Day, which all of us are already real good at. It's kinda what got us into this mess in the first place. The calendar people say people play God when they put themselves above others, thinking that they're better than them, or when they control others' lives in some way. And that's a pretty good guess, calendar people. I always say that the greatest sin you can commit is to impose your will on somebody else. Most of what we put people in prison for stems from the belief that it's okay for me to decide for you. For example, the current philosophy driving the B system is that Karl Marx line, from each according to his ability, to each according to his need. Which sounds clever, till you think about it for five seconds. Cause just who gets to decide what my abilities and my needs are? Me? You? Some bureaucrat? Cause inevitably, one of these small G gods is gonna decide something pretty heinous. Like when Pol Pot decided Cambodia needed a million people and did not need the other seven million and change. And he had the ability to kill off all the extras. And he made it to about two million before Vietnam put a stop to it. But darn, nice try, B system, I guess. Our reading for today is Genesis 20, verse 1 through 22, 24, Matthew 7, 15 through 29, Psalm 9, 1 through 12, and Proverbs 2, 16 through 22. So if y'all are ready, whoa, that got dark quick, didn't it? But before we get to the reading, let's me and the squad do a review of yesterday's study. Okay, so yesterday on the 8th in the Old Testament, we read Genesis 18, 16 through 19, 38. And when we left off, the Lord and two angels had just visited Abe and Sarah and said, remember that kid you're going to have? Well, now's the time, nine months from today. Then they told him that the other reason they were there is that they're planning on destroying Sodom and Gomorrah, which is two cities that are right nearby. And they're right next to each other. So they're kind of like twin cities. And they're going to destroy them because their cry is great and because their sin is very grievous. What sin? I don't really know. Traditionally, People say it's homosexuality, and maybe I wasn't there. But I've never bought that, because why single out Sodom and Gomorrah, and why at this particular time? It's not really ever explained. I heard one guy preach that it wasn't so much the homosexuality as it was the government sanctioning of it. Okay, fine, but still, not the only ancient culture to do that. So why here and why now? Ezekiel chapter 16, verses 49 and 50 says, Behold, this was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom. Pride, fullness of bread, and abundance of idleness was in her and in her daughters. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy. And they were haughty and committed abomination before me. Therefore, I took them away as I saw good. And that's all good and fine, but that stuff is common to everybody. None of that really gets any other cities destroyed. So something else is up. And it says they committed abomination before God. 
And that usually means against God or like in God's face. So that'd do it, but it still doesn't really say what that abomination was. And there's another theory, but hang on. Anyway, two of the guys leave and they head off for Sodom, but the Lord hangs back to talk to Abe. And Abe tries to talk him into sparing the city, probably because Lot and his family are in there. And verse 23 says, And Abraham drew near and said, Wilt thou also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Peradventure there be fifty righteous within the city. Wilt thou also destroy and not spare the place for fifty righteous that are therein? Abe is very eloquent and humble, and he knows he's overstepping his bounds with God. And you get the impression that God is amused with Abe. In verse 26 it says, And the Lord said, If I find in Sodom fifty righteous within the city, then will I spare all the place for their sakes. So Abe's like, Sir, if I may, how about like 45? And God says, No, not for 45 either. And long story short, Abe keeps asking him and works him down a few at a time until they get down to 10. And God says, No, I won't destroy it for 10. And Abe's scared to push his luck any further. And chapter 19 starts out, And there came two angels to Sodom at even, and Lot sat in the gate of Sodom. And to sit in the gate of Sodom, the gate was like these rooms at the entrance of the city where the local government met, like city hall or the county courthouse. So sat in the gate implies Lot was important in the Twin Cities. And Lot, seeing these guys show up, he rose up to meet them, and he bowed himself with his face toward the ground. So somehow, he knew who these guys were, or knew something wasn't normal about them. So does that mean everybody knew, or just Lot because they need for him to know? because they're about to get him out. I don't know. But he tells them, come stay at my place. And they're like, nah, we'll sleep on a park bench. But he insists they come over, and they do. But before they lay down, the men of the city, even the men of Sodom, compassed the house round, both old and young, all the people from every quarter. And they called unto Lot and said unto him, Where are the men which came into thee this night? Bring them out unto us, that we may know them. And this is why people say the sin of the city was homosexuality. Because all the men of the city, old and young, from every quarter, surrounded the house and wanted to... I tried to come up with a snarky way to say what it was they wanted to do with these angel guys, but everything I came up with sounds just real creepy. But you get the picture. Whatever. All of them obviously knew something was special about these guys. Which brings me to that other theory I was talking about. What was the only other thing that ever got everybody wiped out? Well, that was fooling around with angels back before the flood which seems more logical to me, but the problem with that is they were already slated for demolition before the angels ever got there. That's why the angels were there in the first place. Unless there were other angels around, which maybe, because check out Jude 1 verses 6 and 7. It says, And the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day, even as Sodom and Gomorrah, and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, are set forth an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. So, maybe this is evidence of what they call the second incursion, because Genesis 6-4 says there were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that, when the sons of God came unto the daughters of men. Whatever. I report, you decide. Anyway, Lot tries to protect these angels, as if they needed Lot's help. And Dirtbag Lot offers up his two virgin daughters to the crowd. But the fellas in town are like, girls, ooh, gross. And threatened to do worse to Lot than these angels if he wouldn't hand them over. So the angels just struck everybody blind. Just like that. And then they told Lot it was time to go. 
Round up your family and let's get clear of the city limits. And verse 14 says, And Lot went out and spake unto his sons-in-law, which maybe they were out there with the rest of them blind guys, I don't know. But they had married his daughters and said, Up, get you out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. But he seemed as one that mocked unto his sons-in-law. So apparently the daughters were betrothed, but not yet wed, which was Jewish custom. And his sons-in-law didn't want to go. So the next morning, Lot, his wife, and two girls fled the city with the help of the angels. And I'm struck that Lot had not only made a home in Sodom, like the worst place on earth, but he was like the mayor or something of this wretched hive of scum and villainy. Then he was willing to let God knows what happen to his daughters, and still this sinner was considered righteous enough to save before wiping the place out. And that makes him a type of the church. But darn, what does that say about us? But anyway, verse 24, Then the Lord rained upon Sodom and upon Gomorrah brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. But his wife looked back from behind him, and she became a pillar of salt. So should we take all that literally? Yeah, I think so. I think the phrase, his wife looked back, actually means she wasn't willing to let go of whatever grody lifestyle she was living in that rat hole. But otherwise, it reads how it reads. When I started this Bible reading podcast, I said, I'm just going to take what this book says at face value and assume God says what he means and means what he says and try not to read anything into it. I mean, there's metaphors and stuff. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying once you start allegorizing scripture, it means anything you want and everything everybody else wants. And if that's the case, then every book is a holy book and none are. So anyway, Lot and his girls escape to Zoar and hide out in a cave. Yesterday, he was boss hog. Now he's got nothing, not even a wife. And the firstborn daughter said unto the younger, Our father is old, and there is not a man in the earth to come in unto us after the manner of all the earth. Which is not remotely true, because Abraham and his whole gigantic tribe of fellows were just over the hill watching Sodom burn. So this sounds to me like they were rationalizing something they wanted to do anyway. What's that, you ask? Well, verse 32. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him that we may preserve seed of our father. And they made their father drink wine that night. And the firstborn went in and lay with her father, and he perceived not when she lay down, nor when she arose. And the other daughter did it the second night. Thus were both the daughters of Lot with child by their father. And the firstborn bare a son and called his name Moab. The same is the father of the Moabites unto this day. And the younger, she also bare a son and called his name Benami the same as the father of the children of Ammon until this day. So growing up in Sodom taught those girls well. They must have gone to public school. What this passage tells me is that Abraham and all his imperfections had power with God. And we know that's grace. His relationship with God was true and included his extended family. Lot, as you know, is Abraham's nephew and part of the kindred he was called out of to leave but he kept Lot close for as long as he could. And Abraham's prayer wasn't perfect either. He was wrong about the ten righteous being in Sodom. But because of God's friendship with Abraham, Lot was rescued. The angels had to wait until they were safely away before doing their job. God loves us and he looks out for those we love too. I mean, God loves Lot too, but it was his uncle, Abraham's faith that got Lot out of danger. And then in the New Testament, we read Matthew 6, 25 through 7, 14. And Jesus is still preaching on the mount. And the theme today is, don't worry about a thing. 
because every little thing going to be all right, or sort of. What he actually says is, Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body, what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body more than raiment? And the bigger picture is, do what you need to do and do what you can, but leave the rest up to God and he'll make sure you got what you need, meaning food, clothing, and shelter, not a Cadillac, a Gulfstream G5, and a mansion, unless he needs for you to have those things for some reason. But if not, don't expect it or insist on it. He says, Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Then he says, Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Which is kind of a backhanded compliment to Solomon. But God knows you need food, clothing, and shelter. But he says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Again, food, clothing, and shelter, not a Cadillac, a Gulfstream, and a mansion. He says, Don't worry about tomorrow. Just focus on what the Lord has for you right now. Tomorrow will still be there. In chapter 7, he says, Judge not that ye be not judged. For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. In other words, you have no right to be a holier-than-thou busybody because you don't know anything about anything about where that guy is in his walk with the Lord or what the Lord has planned or what the Lord's doing right now. So leave people alone. There's a reason 1 Peter 4.15 equates a busybody with a murderer, a thief, and an evildoer. Now having said that, there is a difference between being judgmental and using good judgment. It's not judgmental to not allow yourself to be taken advantage of. Judgmentalism is making value judgments about somebody's inherent worth before God. That guy that threatened to kill me that one time is still worth saving or trying to, but that doesn't mean I have to let him in my house. So worry about the beam in your own eye before trying to get the moat out of your brother's eye. Like Jordan Peterson says, why would you think you can save the world when you can't even clean your own room? So clean your room, eh? Then he says, Give not that which is holy unto the dogs, neither cast ye your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet, and turn again and rend you. And this sounds kind of like the opposite of what he just said, but it ain't. He's saying most of the time, being a busybody and telling others how to live, even if they're living like pigs and dogs, it won't be well received. People gotta work their own stuff out on their own. So if you got some drug addicts or gay people in your church every Sunday, yeah, we all know that's a problem, but it's not your problem, it's God's problem. And God ain't got no problems, only solutions that he ain't obliged to run by anybody. Woo. It's like J. Vernon McGee said, this is God's universe and he does things his way. You may have a better way, but you don't have a universe. <laughs> anyway, he goes on and says, ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. Long as God's on board with it, that is. Remember a second ago in chapter 6 when he said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and these things shall be added unto you? Well, this is a continuation of that thought. If he wants you to have it, ask for it, and you'll probably get it. If he don't want it for you, then it won't help to ask. Unless he gives you stuff he don't want you to have just to teach you a lesson, because that can happen too. But anyway, he wraps up this section by saying, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Remember elsewhere in scripture when he said, not everybody who says, Lord, Lord, gets to come in? 
It's the same kind of idea. So kingdom principles continue to serve God only or have anxiety as a way of life. When we're stressed, it's because we're serving ourselves. Later, Jesus will say, stop that. Come to me. I have the rest your soul needs. God is a good father. Believe it and ask him first for stuff. Consult him first on decisions. He already knows what's up and has a plan for us. And he's telling us to be discerning in relationships. Enjoy them, but expect everything from God. Don't give what's holy to dogs. Don't share your pearls to those that can't handle it. They will hurt you with it. It's easier to say no when we must because God has everything covered for us, our spirit, our soul, and our body. And this is one of my favorite verses. And I would really like to get this deep into my heart. Ask continually and it shall be given. Seek continually and find. Knock continually and it shall be open. God gives good gifts. So don't be afraid to ask and ask all the time. He wants to give us the kingdom. Therefore, or since we know how much God loves us, we rely on him to meet us at every point of need or happiness. We're liberated to treat others how we want to be treated with no strings attached. This is where the rubber meets the road. Interpersonal relationships, competition, unforgiveness. These things will not fit through the narrow gate into the kingdom of God. And then in Psalms, we read Psalm 8, 1 through 9. And that's a praise Psalm of David. He says, Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars, which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him and the son of man that thou visitest him? We are supposed to consider the heavens. It's okay to study all that scientific stuff because it should make you more in awe of God. And he says, for thou hast made man a little lower than the angels and hast crowned him with glory and honor. Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet. For some reason, he doesn't begin to understand, I think is what he's trying to say. Dominion, authority with responsibility. And it's one of the be happy directives given by God to the first man in the Garden of Eden. This is what Jesus got back in the spiritual realm. And one day soon, he'll get it back in the physical realm. And then in Proverbs, we read Proverbs 2, 6 through 15. And I'm not going to read the whole thing, but he's been talking a lot about learning to love wisdom and learning to fear the Lord. And here he gives a bunch of practical and spiritual reasons to do just that. And we're born again, given a new heart and the Holy Spirit to help us with this process. I don't have to walk in the ways of darkness anymore. I've been delivered from that chaos. And we're getting daily doses of wisdom as we spend time in the Word. We are asking, seeking, and knocking. But that's the end of our review of yesterday's study. Thanks for your help, babe. Our reading in the Old Testament for January 9th is Genesis 20, verse 1 through 22, 24. And Abraham journeyed from thence toward the south country, and dwelled between Kadesh and Shur, and sojourned in Gerar. And Abraham said of Sarah his wife, She is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night, and said to him, Behold, thou art but a dead man for the woman which thou hast taken, for she is a man's wife. But Abimelech had not come near her. And he said, Lord, wilt thou slay also a righteous nation? Said he not unto me, She is my sister? 
And she, even she herself said, He is my brother. In the integrity of my heart and innocency of my hands have I done this. And God said unto him in a dream, Yea, I know that thou didst this in the integrity of thy heart. For I also withheld thee from sinning against me. Therefore suffered I thee not to touch her. Now therefore restore the man his wife, for he is a prophet. And he shall pray for thee, and thou shalt live. And if thou restore her not, know thou that thou shalt surely die, thou and all that are thine. Therefore Abimelech rose early in the morning, and called all his servants, and told all these things in their ears. And the men were sore afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham, and said unto him, What hast thou done unto us? And what have I offended thee, that thou hast brought on me, and on my kingdom, a great sin? Thou hast done deeds unto me that ought not to be done. And Abimelech said unto Abraham, What sawest thou that thou hast done this thing? And Abraham said, Because I thought, surely the fear of God is not in this place, and they will slay me for my wife's sake. And yet indeed she is my sister. She is the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother. And she became my wife. And it came to pass, when God caused me to wander from my father's house, that I said unto her, This is thy kindness which thou shalt shew unto me. At every place whither we shall come, say of me, He is my brother. And Abimelech took sheep and oxen and men servants and women servants and gave them unto Abraham, and restored him Sarah his wife. And Abimelech said, Behold, my land is before thee, dwell where it pleaseth thee. And unto Sarah he said, Behold, I have given thy brother a thousand pieces of silver. Behold, he is to thee a covering of the eyes, unto all that are with thee, and with all other. Thus she was reproved. So Abraham prayed unto God, and God healed Abimelech, and his wife, and his maidservants, and they bare children. For the Lord had fast closed up all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. Chapter 21 And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did unto Sarah as he had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bare Abraham a son in his old age, at the set time of which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son that was born unto him, whom Sarah bare to him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac, being eight days old, as God had commanded him. And Abraham was an hundred years old when his son Isaac was born unto him. And Sarah said, God hath made me to laugh, so that all that hear will laugh with me. And she said, Who would have said unto Abraham that Sarah should have given children suck? For I have borne him a son in his old age. And the child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast the same day that Isaac was weaned. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian, which she had borne unto Abraham, mocking. Wherefore she said unto Abraham, Cast out this bondwoman and her son. For the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, even with Isaac. And the thing was very grievous in Abraham's sight because of his son. And God said unto Abraham, Let it not be grievous in thy sight because of the lad, and because of thy bondwoman. In all that Sarah hath said unto thee, hearken unto her voice, for in Isaac shall thy seed be called. And also of the son of the bondwoman will I make a nation, because he is thy seed. And Abraham rose up early in the morning and took bread and a bottle of water and gave it unto Hagar, putting it on her shoulder, and the child, and sent her away, and she departed, and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. And the water was spent in the bottle, and she cast the child under one of the shrubs. And she went and sat her down over against him a good way off, as it were a bowshot. For she said, Let me not see the death of the child. And she sat over against him, and lift up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the lad, and the angel of God called to Hagar out of heaven, and said unto her, What aileth thee, Hagar? Fear not, for God hath heard the voice of the lad where he is. 
Arise, lift up the lad, and hold him in thine hand, for I will make him a great nation. And God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the bottle with water, and gave the lad drink. And God was with the lad, and he grew, and dwelt in the wilderness, and became an archer. And he dwelt in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took him a wife out of the land of Egypt. And it came to pass at that time that Abimelech and Phicol, the chief captain of his host, spake unto Abraham, saying, God is with thee in all that thou doest. Now therefore swear unto me here by God that thou wilt not deal falsely with me, nor with my son, nor with my son's son, but according to the kindness that I have done unto thee, thou shalt do unto me, and to the land wherein thou hast sojourned. And Abraham said, I will swear. And Abraham reproved Abimelech because of a well of water which Abimelech's servants had violently taken away. And Abimelech said, I wot not who hath done this thing, neither didst thou tell me, neither yet heard I of it but today. And Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them unto Abimelech, and both of them made a covenant. And Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock by themselves. And Abimelech said unto Abraham, What mean these seven ewe lambs which thou hast set by themselves? And he said, For these seven ewe lambs shalt thou take of my hand, that they may be a witness unto me that I have digged this well. Wherefore he called that place Beersheba, because there they swear both of them. Thus they made a covenant at Beersheba. Then Abimelech rose up, and Phicol, the chief captain of his host, and they returned into the land of the Philistines. And Abraham planted a grove in Beersheba, and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham sojourned in the Philistines' land many days. Chapter 22. And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham, and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I will tell thee of. And Abraham rose up early in the morning, and saddled his ass, and took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and clave the wood for the burnt offering, and rose up and went unto the place which God had told him. Then on the third day Abraham lifted up his eyes, and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship, and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering, and laid it upon Isaac his son. And he took the fire in his hand, and a knife, and they went both of them together. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father, and said, My father? And he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went, both of them together. And they came to the place which God had told him of. And Abraham built an altar there, and laid the wood in order, and bound Isaac his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand, and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven, and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram, and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh. As it is said to this day, In the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. And the angel of the Lord called unto Abraham out of heaven the second time, and said, By myself have I sworn, saith the Lord, for because thou hast done this thing, and hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, that in blessing I will bless thee, 
and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of the heaven, and as the sand which is upon the seashore. And thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned unto his young men, and they rose up and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham dwelt at Beersheba. And it came to pass after these things, that it was told Abraham, saying, Behold, Milcah, she hath also borne children unto thy brother Nahor, Huz his firstborn, and Buzz his brother, and Kemuel the father of Aram, and Chesed, and Hazo, and Pildash, and Jidlaf, and Bethuel. And Bethuel begat Rebekah. These eight Milcah did bear to Nahor, Abraham's brother. And his concubine, whose name was Ruma, she bare also Teba, and Gaham, and Thahash, and Maacah. Our reading in the New Testament for January 9th is Matthew seven fifteen through 29 Beware of false prophets, which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns, or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore by their fruits ye shall know them. Not every one that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name have done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine, and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man, which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And every one that heareth these sayings of mine, and doeth them not, shall be likened unto a foolish man, which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And it came to pass, when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one having authority, and not as the scribes. Our reading in Psalms for January 9th is Psalm 9, 1-12. To the chief musician upon Muthlaban, a psalm of David. I will praise thee, O Lord, with my whole heart. I will shew forth all thy marvelous works. I will be glad and rejoice in thee. I will sing praise to thy name, O thou Most High. When mine enemies are turned back, they shall fall and perish at thy presence. For thou hast maintained my right and my cause. Thou sattest in the throne judging right. Thou hast rebuked the heathen. Thou hast destroyed the wicked. Thou hast put out their name forever and ever. O thou enemy, destructions are come to a perpetual end and thou hast destroyed cities, their memorial is perished with them. But the Lord shall endure forever. He hath prepared his throne for judgment, and he shall judge the world in righteousness. He shall minister judgment to the people in uprightness. The Lord also will be a refuge for the oppressed, a refuge in times of trouble. And they that know thy name will put their trust in thee. For thou, Lord, hast not forsaken them that seek thee. Sing praises to the Lord which dwelleth in Zion. Declare among the people his doings. When he maketh inquisition for blood, he remembereth them. He forgetteth not the cry of the humble. And our reading in Proverbs for January 9th is Proverbs 2, 16-22. To deliver thee from the strange woman, even from the stranger which flattereth with her words. 
which forsaketh the guide of her youth, and forgetteth the covenant of her God. For her house inclineth unto death, and her paths unto the dead. None that go unto her return again. Neither take they hold of the paths of life, that thou mayest walk in the way of good men, and keep the paths of the righteous. For the upright shall dwell in the land, and the perfect shall remain in it. But the wicked shall be cut off from the earth, and the transgressors shall be rooted out of it. And that's it for the ninth. All right, y'all, let's do our 30-second meditation. Today's prayer is about Matthew 5:44, which says, But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. So hit the 30-second back button on your podcast player a few times and meditate with me for a little while on trying to see these people the way God sees them. Because prayer is the heavy artillery in the armor of God. So if you're ready, let's go. Father God, you command us to love our enemies. And while we all strive for this, in reality, it's the hardest thing. Most of us hold grudges and unforgiveness in our hearts, even though we may not want to. And to the world, this command seems downright insane. But you, Father, use the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, so that none may glory in your presence. Help us, Lord, to see the world like you see it, as broken and lost and in need of your love, not our vengeance. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, that's all the Bible yallin' I got for you tonight. Thank you, Father, for letting us study your word and for the gift of salvation through your Son, Jesus Christ. Please bless and keep everybody listening and let this podcast be of some kind of help to them. Amen. You can look for us on Podbean, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Amazon, Google, CastBox, and Facebook. If you like what we're doing and you want to support it, what I really need is for y'all to pray for me and Bible Y'all Squall and all our friends and family. If you got any prayer requests, email them to BibleYallPodcast at gmail.com. And not only will we pray for you, I'll post a list on Facebook so everybody else can too. Otherwise, just go on out and try to make the world a better place. And if you can't make things any better, just try not to make them any worse. Thanks, everybody, and God bless y'all. Hey, Bible, y'all. Most of what we put people in prison for, man, I can't talk.